It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Can you tell things are looking up here at the money guy? Uh, as you can see, we've added a new intro. Um, we've got many, many more exciting things that are going to come up in the next few weeks. Uh, one of the things I want to tell you about is we're actually in negotiations right now with um, doing a completely new website. And But you can go look at our existing website. It will still, the new one will be at the, the, the same website, but it's money-guy.com. That's M-O-N-E-Y-Guy-G-U-Y.com. Um, but I, I think there's going to be tremendous, tremendous upgrades that you're going to be very pleased with. We're going to make this even more of a resource than it currently is. But please go out there and check us out as we currently are, and we will continue to do more and more upgrades. i got to tell you, I'm so excited about today's show. I came in here and told Heidi, who's our producer, that um, if this show runs long, we're just going to let it run because I've got a lot to talk about. I'm pretty excited about it, and we're just going to do it. And we're talking about the topic of windfall planning. And what is a windfall? Windfall can be many different things. It could be um, that you were in an accident and got paid some money. That's the bad side of it. You know, also, there's the bad side of if you had a family member pass away or a distant relative and you inherited a large sum of money. Um, it also could be that you sold your company. It could be that you um, have a life insurance, or it could be that you won the lottery. You know, we all joke about it. First of all, let me tell you, the chances of you winning the lottery are slim to none, but if you are one of those lucky people, congratulations. Um, you have essentially been the needle in the haystack and won the, the, the lottery, and hopefully we're going to give you some advice today that's going to help you make the right decisions with it. But there is a lot of unique things that come with doing windfall planning because there's psychological issues, there's issues with dealing with friends and family members as well as the strangers that are going to come ask you. So I figured, why not go ahead and give you some resources here to, to start figuring out what to do with that in case this situation comes to you. Or maybe you are currently in that situation. But for those of you who have come back several times, um, let's, you know, the, 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 the way we set this show up is that we go over some articles first and then we jump right into the financial chaos topic. Uh, so we're, we got a few articles, but I also want to give you a little feedback about the show. The numbers have been phenomenal, and um, the feedback I get through email has has been great, too. And I just want to encourage you to please, please continue to contact me. Uh, if you want to know what you can do to help the show out and make the show grow and encourage us, because let's face it, we're not making money off this show yet. If you notice, it's all free subscribers. This is not my full-time job. I am um, a, a fee-only wealth manager. I'm a partner at a firm down here on the south side of Atlanta. So this is, per se, not my day job. So this is more of a hobby that I'm trying to get good advice out to the public and let you guys really make good decisions because there's not a lot of advisors out there that are dealing with um, the market and giving good advice for free. And I, I thought, kind of felt guilty about how my, I had these huge minimums on what I require for a client to qualify. So I said, why not go ahead and get it out there? So if you want to know what you can do to help us out since we're out there throwing out all this free advice, you know, continue to shoot me emails because that really makes me feel good. But also, please, please write some reviews if you like it. If you don't like the show, please don't write a review. That doesn't help out at all. But if you do like the show, I'd love for you to put some reviews out there at iTunes, Yahoo, wherever you're downloading us from. 
And then also feel free to tell as many of your friends and family as possible. Now, we've only been doing this show for, I think, probably about a month, maybe a month and a half. And we, we've really done well on the subscriber side. I would love to get this show. It, it's, I know that I've done well when we can get to a 1,000 subscribers. So please tell your friends and family. You know, Tell them it's definitely worth the price of admission since, let's face it, it's free. Um, my bill rate is much more expensive than that free, so you're getting um, some hopefully decent advice for a free price. So I think it's worth what you're paying for. Now, the first article I want to talk to you about is there was actually a US Today, usatoday.com article that came out on March 6th, and, and the title of it was, Few Young Workers Take Heed of Need to Start Saving Now. Now, I'm going to put a link to this over on our website, which is money-guy.com, um, so you can go pull this up and look at it. But it had some great numbers in it. I, I'm one of these guys that loves to look at the numbers, and because and, numbers I don't think can lie and exaggerate as much as other things can. They, it, so I'm a very analytical person. But it talked about this new survey from Hewitt Associates found that only 31% of workers ages 18 to 25 who are eligible for a 401k participate in their company plan. Did you hear that number? That was only 31%. These are the people that if they start saving $100 a month, they're going to be loaded by the time they're 65 because of that power of compounding interest. You know, that compounding interest that Albert Einstein said was one of the most powerful things in the world. But yet only 31% of the population in that age group of 18 to 25 is taking advantage of it. And that compares with people who are in that 26 to 41 years of age. That's the, the age I fall in. There's about 63% of those people that are, that are taking advantage of it. And then the baby boomers, they're doing about 72% of them are participating in their 401k. And the reason I bring this all up to you guys is because if you're not participating in your company 401k, at least up to the match, you're giving money away because that is free and clear money that the government is encouraging your employer to put in your account on your behalf. So that's free money. If you're giving away free money, that is insane. It also has in here that nearly 65% of Generation Y, I guess that's what you guys are called that are 18 to 25. I don't, we were Generation X. Now I guess they get figured the, the next progression was Y. Sounds kind of stupid to me. But um, Generation Y workers expect to receive a monthly pension payment when they retire. That, that number was 65% still think they're going to get a pension. Are you guys insane? I, I know I have some younger people out there listening. Surely you guys aren't part of this 65% that think that you're going to still get a pension. Pensions are going extinct. Nobody does pensions anymore. That was something your grandparents got. That's something a few of your parents probably have. And the only people I know of that are still doing pensions and will probably continue doing pensions is the government. So unless you're working for the government, you're probably not going to have a pension. You're probably going to be using a 401k. So, you know, that that's one of those stats that I can't believe that many people really think that they're going to have a pension. It also says um, 61%, and these are the 61% of the workers that are participating in their 401k um, are actually not even doing the full up to 6%. They're doing somewhere around the 5% level, and that means you're leaving money on the table. So be careful that if you are going to participate in the 401k, make sure you find out what your employer's requirement is to get the full matching and do it all. And then where do we go after we do that match to your 401k? If you're making under that 90000 for a single individual or 150 for a married couple, you want to go to the Roth IRA. And if you still got money laying around, come back to your 401k. Remember, that's the most important thing you can do to save for retirement. Um, I do have a stat here that says that 
one of the reasons cited why Generation Y is not doing the saving is that they call they say that lifestyle purchases are getting in the way. Now, what is a um, lifestyle purchase? Well, if you listen to this show, one of the things they cite in this article is iPods and the big screen TV. Well, if you've got an iPod, hopefully you're doing the podcasting thing, but you've got to realize that if you're going out there and doing the cappuccino, um, the Starbucks, and, and not saving for retirement, or you're doing, I have some people that tell me they're doing 1500 to $2,000 a year on iTunes downloads, and you're not saving for retirement, you're really hurting yourself. So make sure you pay yourself first, and then go out and do the fun stuff. There's nothing wrong with doing the fun stuff after you've done that 15 to 20% of your gross wages that I've talked about in some of our previous podcasts on retirement planning. So please, please, I don't care if you're Gen Y, Gen X, baby boomers, the Depression era guys, you know, any generation you're in, save, 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 and then you can go out and enjoy yourself. It's that deferred gratification that builds the true financial independence. Now, the next article I have actually plays right into today's financial chaos topic, the windfall planning. Uh, this is from the March 9th Wall Street Journal, and, and it really caught me. It was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, and when I see stuff on the front page and you see Atlanta, you remember we're on the south side of Atlanta, kind of catches your eye because I knew this is local news, but there was um, the title of this was Southern Discomfort, Troubles at Atlanta Hedge Fund Snare Doctors and Football Players. And what had happened, I'm going to read, I'm just going to go ahead and point blank read a portion of this. This was, um, the whole article, I want to go ahead and give credit to the authors of this, was by Ian McDonald and Valerie, oh gosh, Valerie, I hope I don't mess this up, um, Barlene. So, um, hopefully, Valerie, I didn't uh, slaughter that too bad. But this, um, they wrote, this is what it says exactly. It's Kirk S. Wright, a 35-year-old hedge fund manager, celebrated his second marriage last October with a lavish reception at his sprawling brick-and-stucco home in the city's northern suburbs. Former professional football players, joined by many of Atlanta's top African-American doctors and entrepreneurs, crowded his home, admiring his white granite floors, elevator, and chic interior glass walls. They nibbled sushi and lobster, danced on a platform over the swimming pool, and toasted the newlyweds at, at their three outdoor bars sculpted from ice. The bride flashed an engagement ring that Mr. Wright had said cost $55,000. A life-size portrait of his bride and groom on a Caribbean beach sat on the patio. Many of Mr. Wright's guests had an extra reason to be impressed. Along with other investors, they had allocated at least $115 million to Mr. Wright's hedge fund firm, International Management Associates, LLC, over the prior seven years, which included the worst bear market since the Great Depression. However, Mr. Wright had reported average annual returns of more than 27%. So, first of all, before we talk about the 27%, did you hear what this guy had going on at his wedding reception? I mean, he had, besides the sushi and lobster, we'll give him credit for the sushi and lobster, but I liked how it talked about the guests danced on a platform over the swimming pool. I've been to a lot of nice houses. I have yet to see... A dance floor set up over a swimming pool. I don't even see that stuff on MTV Crips. So, I mean, this guy was over the top. I give him all the credit in the world for the white granite floors, the elevator, and, um, you know, the dancing over uh, the swimming pool. Plus, let's not forget, he had sculpted ice. He had three bars with ice sculptures out at each bar. So he did it right. And this was a second wedding. You know, most people go and lope on their second wedding, but not Mr. Wright. 
But um, it, it, this is just one of those illustrations. I think a lot of people who come into money, that's, that's professional athletes, that's lottery winners, um, they can be really duped into a lot of bad things. Now, I do have some experience in this, and I'll share some of that with you. The, the, in the past, I've worked at several firms before I went out on my own. At both firms that I worked at before, um, I started Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management, which, by the way, if you want to check us out, you can check us out at preston-cleveland.com and see the information on me and my partner. But we had the opportunity to work with quite a few professional athletes. I, I actually worked with some agents I worked with several basketball players, NBA players, some PGA professional golfers, as well as quite a few professional football players. And and one of the things, I've got a few stats I want to give you guys, and then we'll come back to Mr. Wright's article from the Wall Street Journal. Most people don't realize, and I'm talking about all professional athletes. This is everything. This is um, you know your soccer players, your tennis players, your lady basketball players. If you just look at... You know, your minor league baseball players. The average professional athlete, if you actually took them all and grouped them together and then divided it by the number of people, only makes between $27,000 to $32,000 a year, which um, is not much different than, I think, what most school teachers make. You know, which, you know, because you always hear that analogy that um, professional athletes are overpaid and then education, which I agree that education does not receive the assets it should, but I, I think it's amazing that they're actually somewhat similar if you look at the group as a whole. But What's different about professional athletes is that the average individual over their lifetime learns somewhere between $1.5 to $3 million, and they work 35 to 45 years. And their peak earnings occur the five years right before retirement. So that's right around, you know, somewhere between 60 to 65 is when they're really hitting their, their top earning potential. You, you compare that to a professional athlete where their lifetime earnings are somewhere between $5 million and $25 million, most of that earnings is in the 7- to 12-year period, and their peak earnings all occur before age 35. 70% 79% of their lifetime earnings all occur before 35. So that's a lot to put on somebody, and it really creates a unique situation because it really is a windfall if you're coming into that much money. Um, and, and athletes have the exact same problem that I think lottery winners have, that people who come from not much means but inherit a large sum of money or sell a large chunk of land and come into some some nice wealth is that you have family, friends, strangers, you have all kind of people hitting you up and asking you about the money. And we're going to get into that, but the big thing that, that I want to draw to your attention is when you come into these windfalls, you're going to see these people come up to you and supposedly have great investment opportunities. It could be family members, friends, it could be strangers, and that's exactly what happened here. You know, this Mr. Wright, Kirk Wright, um, who, by the way, the Wall Street Journal was able to talk through through cell phone. Um, and I'll get, he was essentially on the lam, it looks like, because the, the SEC um, has only been able to find $150,000 of his client's money. Now, this is a guy who was managing somewhere, they're guessing, between $115 million to $185 million, and yet the SEC can only find $150,000. Guys, that's not good. That means if you invested with Mr. Wright, Probably not getting that money back is my my guess because I I think probably Mr. Wright was smart enough to go find him an offshore account somewhere and probably get that money out of the country. And now they're having trouble tracking Mr. Wright down. Um, He even right before the last time that the investigators were able to make contact, it said um, last month Mr. Wright left $30,000 in cash at an address in Brooklyn, New York for his ex-wife for alimony and child support. 
Does this sound like somebody who's probably going on the run? I think he's not coming back. But there was also, and I'll move past this article and get into our our financial chaos topic, but I want to read one more thing. I thought one of these paragraphs at the closing of this article was was great because this talks about how family is great. It's definitely blood's thicker than water, but you get money involved and you can really see what people think. And this is what his brother, Mr. Wright's older brother, Charles Wright, a researcher in Washington, D.C., who directs medical trials, says he has urged his brother to turn himself in. He says their mother, Joyce Wright, is concerned about her son's safety, now get this, as well as the retirement money she invested with him. So so good old Kirk Wright took his own mom's money and is run off, and it sounds like he's on the land. But Kirk probably needs that now since the SEC is out there looking for him. But um, I just want to draw your attention to how vulnerable you are if you've just come into money and how you've got to be so, so careful about who you give that money to and the relationship. And we all have brother-in-laws. We all have cousins. We all have relatives who either sell insurance or decide they're going to throw their hat and become investment guys because everybody thinks that you can make a gazillion dollars just by saying you're a financial planner. Um, I assure you, the good ones, yes, you can make a great living at this, but if you're just walking in off the street and don't have the skill set because to, to really do the right thing for your clients, it's going to catch up with you. Eventually, bad performance, bad client relationships are going to occur, and you're not going to make this money that you think is easy money out there. So I would just urge you, urge you so much to look into um, doing fee-only planners, asking some very hard-hitting questions, making sure you're not getting a brand-new advisor that's right out of school because you don't want them cutting your, their teeth on your you know, newfound money, the windfall out there. Um, jumping right into the financial chaos topic. I found on bankrate.com, and this, um, I, I need to track down the article. We can put that, I mean, the, the actual date that this was done. We can put that on the, the website. Remember, that's money-guy.com. Is it the, the title of this, and it was done by Ellen Goodstein. It says, Unlucky Lottery Winners Who Lost Their Money. And I want to read a little bit of this, and I know I'm reading a lot, but by God, sometimes it's better just to go ahead and lay it out there for you and let you see. But it talks about, because these are actual quotes, there's a woman up in New Jersey who won the lottery actually twice. If you can, How lucky do you have to be that you, not, you don't win the lottery just once, but you win it twice? And her name was Evelyn Adams. She won it both in 1985 and 1986 and won a total of $5.4 million. Now, we sit here today, and I know that's a lot of money, but you say, wait a minute, I remember the lottery last week. The Powerball was like $180 million. And you're like, wait a minute, 5.4, that was nothing. Guys, this was 20 years ago. So $5.4 million 20 years ago was probably the equivalent of $20 million now, if you think about it, what you could do with it. So don't get caught up. You're like, 5.4, because I know that's the way. Sometimes when you look at the lottery, when you're riding by the billboards, and it says what this this week's jackpot is, you're like, Oh, if it's under ten million dollars, that's just not enough money, you know. But that's not—that's that, how crazy the lottery is, you know. I think it plays a psychological. But five point four million dollars is a ton of money, especially back in nineteen eighty-five and nineteen eighty-six. But this is what Evelyn said. She says, "I won the American dream, but I lost it too. It was a very hard fall. I called rock bottom." Um, everybody wanted my money. Everybody had their hand out. I never learned one simple word in the English language, and that was no. I wish I had the chance to do it all over again. I'd be much smarter about it now. Don't they all say that? Come on. Everybody who's lost money, don't they always say, if you give me one more chance? Yeah. Um, she lost her money, the article goes on to say. She lost all of her money in the slot machines in Atlantic City. 
by the way, that's not uncommon. I've dealt with, um, especially with retired individuals, I've dealt with quite a few retired individuals that, you know, live near casinos, and it's not that surprising to find people get addicted to gambling. So if you do live near a casino and you like to go play the numbers, please, please be responsible and be careful. I got another example for you. Mr. Bud Post won $16.2 million in the Pennsylvania lottery in 1988. Now, this is 1988, so this was like 18 years ago this guy won this money. So you take $16 million at 18 years ago, this was a ton of jack, guys. He did very, very well for himself. Um, but he lost it all, too. He lives on Social Security, and that's it right now. And we've all had the discussion in previous podcasts about Social Security. So what's this guy bringing down now? About thirteen, fourteen, fifteen thousand $15,000? Far cry from the $16.2 million that he once won. You know what happened to his money? A former girlfriend successfully sued him for the share of the winnings. But that wasn't his only lawsuit. This is, this is the sad part. Remember how I just said that thing about blood is thicker than water, but wait, watch out when you get money involved? A brother of his was arrested for hiring a hitman to kill him because he was hoping to inherit his winnings. Good God, that's scary. <laughs> so other siblings pestered him until he agreed to invest in a car business and a restaurant in Sarasota, Florida. Two ventures that brought no money back and further strained his relationship with his siblings. So poor Bud didn't sound like the lottery worked out for him either. And then let's go with the, this is the last example I'm going to give you, and then we're going to move on to give you some advice on this. But deeper in debt is there was Suzanne Mullins won $4.2 million in the Virginia lottery back in 93. Still a respectable amount. Now she's deeply in debt, and um, this is how she got in debt. A lot of times there are companies out there, if you win the lottery or win a settlement of some type, it's going to be paid out over an extended period of time. There are companies out there that will pay you a lump sum if you will pay them back over time on that money they paid you. Essentially, you're taking a loan off of the money you've got coming in the future. Well, that's what Suzanne did. She took that lump sum from this company, signed a note saying she's going to pay it back over time. Well, then, look out. Good day for um, Suzanne. Virginia changed the rules. They said, hey, Suzanne, we're going to let you take your lump sum now instead of taking it over periodic payments over you know the next 20 years or so. So what do you think Suzanne did? She, of course, ran out and cashed in her future payments and got that lump sum. But did she tell the guys that she had borrowed that money from already or pay them back? Why would you do that? You've got all this money. So she went out and spent all that money and then never paid the people back. And now she's broke plus owes hundreds of thousands of dollars to this company that had gave her an upfront payment. So those are some examples of really how, if you're not careful, with a windfall, you can hurt yourself. Now, when I say windfall, a lot of you are saying, wait a minute, Brian, you've already told us that we're not going to win the lottery. And the chance is that I'm not going to inherit a ton of money from relatives. So what are you talking about? Windfall doesn't have to be a million dollars. Really, windfall, wealth is relative, everybody. I want you to know that. So if you if you make you know that twenty-five dollars to $30,000 a year, I think if you came into $100,000 from you know, a relative or from some payment or, or some settlement, that's a windfall. So, you know, that's why I say, now, if you make $100,000, sure, you might need a million dollars to where it's considered a windfall. But if you're in the normal twenty-five, thirty-five $35,000, $100,000 is going to be a windfall for you. So that's when I say windfall. What I'm actually talking about is um, an amount of money that people would be hard-pressed to earn just through working, you know, through your occupation. If, you're, if you get a lump sum of payment, 
greater than what you probably earn in a year. That's I would consider that pretty much a windfall. So we're not talking about a million dollars. We're talking about this could be any sum. Maybe you sell a piece of property that you bought back in the 60s or 70s for a grand an acre or two grand an acre, and now, Lord and behold, it's worth $50,000 an acre and you're rich. This could be anything. So don't get caught up when I'm talking about these lottery winners or these professional athletes or any of these other people um, that are really coming into large, large sums of money. This can this can work for you too. I've got some great advice on what to do if you do come into this because there's a really a, a, a three-step process. You've got to look at what happens if you come into some windfall money. And you've got to be careful because there's some things that happen to you. But let's talk about these three steps. First, the first step you've got to do for yourself is you've got to create yourself some breathing room. If you come into a large sum of money, you've got to first take care and put some money aside for the next 6 to 12 months. I mean, I'm talking about putting together a big chunk of money um, just so you can have some breathing room and not feel like you have to make a decision right now on everything. You also, and I'm going to go ahead and throw this, I don't want you to make any big financial decisions, but at least if you have a lot of credit card debt and stuff like that, those type of things are no-brainers. Please go pay off any of those high-interest credit cards because, you know, if the last thing you want to do is go spend this money on some frivolous things, invest it in some business that doesn't work out, and then still have those credit card debts that you had back before you even came into this money. So if we're at least going to do something, let's go be positive and pay off these credit card debts. But you definitely want to create some breathing room for yourself because you need time to adjust. I will tell you there are going to be some psychological changes that are going to occur in you when you when you come into a larger sum of money than you can earn in a year. It, it's just you, you feel you go through extreme excitement and you know and if it's enough money that you start having family members ask you for for opportunities loans and other things you're then going to feel some frustration and then you know if it's enough money you might even feel a little lost and what are you going to do because you've never dealt with investing this amount of money and what am I going to do? You know, because that, that's kind of an overwhelming task because now your job is not necessarily going to the nine to five job that you might have been doing for the last 20, 30 years. It might now be making sure that you're doing the right thing with your assets. So you've got to give yourself some breathing room. And um, you can do that by just setting aside some money and then paying down some of these short term debts and take care of your short term needs immediately. Um, you also, let's talk about what happens. First and foremost, you need to set aside enough money to cover your living expenses for that 6 to 12 month period I've already talked about. You also need to quickly run out if you don't already have one and get a CPA and get some tax advice. This is one of those things I think people who aren't used to making large sums of money, when they get into a windfall, they don't realize because they've never been in a situation where the government has taken as much money as they have, they don't realize that the government takes a ton of your money if you come into a large sum of money. So you immediately need to run out, talk to a CPA, and make sure that you have enough money either reserved or pay payments directly into the IRS and the state taxing authority to keep you out of trouble with the IRS. So remember, they're the only ones that have the guns that can just come take it away from you. Um, also, avoid impulsive decisions. I've got some advice for you on this. I would say take five. You know, we always see, you know, when you go work in a, you know, any type of job, you know, when I was growing up, I worked at the Hardee's drive-thru. I was, um, I was like a crew leader for the Hardee's. I did that like for three years while I was in high school. And, um, you know, when you get a break, they come in and say, Brian, go in there and take five. 
So, you know, they want you to take a five-minute break, you know, just to relax. Well, I say take five on your investments. I'm telling you, if you inherit this money, you need to give yourself the breathing room and do not spend any more than 5% of wish list items. And I'm going to get into in just a second what a wish list item is over the first six months that you have this money because you've got a period that you've got to figure out what you're going to do, get your arms around this, put together a financial team. Um, you do not want to go spend a lot of this money immediately. So that you've got to avoid impulsive decisions. You need to be also go ahead and prepare yourself. You heard that on that first case I was talking about lottery winners. You've got to go ahead and mentally prepare yourself for the requests and solicitations both from people you know and complete strangers. You are going to have family members that are going to approach you. I see this all the time. I have to really talk to a lot of clients um, about when they do come into money, whether it's life insurance, whether it's selling property, that you have to be careful. This is all the money you're ever going to have. Do not give it all away to family members because they might not understand that this is all the money you have. And and they think that, the, hey, what's $10,000 to this person? They've got a million dollars in the bank. What's ten grand? Well, what's ten grand? That could be eating into, if you have three or four other relatives asking for that, that's cutting into how much money you're going to have that's going to support you. This is your financial independence. You also, and this is getting to that wish list item, I always say while you're taking that breathing room and creating that breathing room, please go make a wish list. This is where you sit down and actually write this down. Don't just do this in your head. We all do this game where when we buy a lottery ticket, we like to play with what would I do with that money. Well, I'm telling you, take it to that next step. If you've actually won or you come coming into this money, make a wish list of all the different things you want. I think you will be shocked if you make this list. You go first... You know, what does everybody talk? They want to go buy a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, a Bentley. You know, we've watched enough um, MTV Cribs where you then want to go buy the, um, you know, the TV that's going to come out of the nightstand right in front of your bed. I mean, you, you make this wish list of all the crazy things. By the way, can you tell I'm an electronics guy when I start talking about some of these plasma TVs and other things? But um, you want to buy the things. That you want to make a list of the things you want to buy and write them down on the paper. And you could also talk about whether you want to buy vacation homes, take trips to Australia, and get into even deeper things like what do you want to do? Is there something you want to help out of charity? Is there, you know, you want to change careers, maybe go back to school. Make a wish list of everything and anything you want to do, but then go back to that advice I gave you earlier with take five. Remember, we're not going to spend more than 5% on any of these items that first six months because you've got to have a period of adjustment to make sure you're making the right decision. Okay, so we've created the breathing room. What's step number two? Step number two is you've got to screw your head down to your shoulders and make sure you know really where you are. You've got to resolve the psychological issues that are going to happen to you. Now, let me read you a list of what some of the things that are going to come to you. These are some of the emotions that are going to drown you as soon as you come into a large sum of money. You're going to first have the elation. Then you're going to have some fear of losing the windfall. You might even experience some depression. You're going to have some resistance, some distrust, a lot of distrust. Let's go ahead and put that out there. Lack of confidence, intimidation, a sense of loss, feeling of unworthiness. You're going to have some numbness, too, because now you got to think about it. You've had a lifetime that you've been told that work is what you have to do. You've got to work to earn your money, and now you're being told you have more money than you can spend. There is some numbness that comes from that. So you got to think about that. Also, you're going to have some confusion. And an inability to see the money as an advantage, even a desire, a desire just to give it away. 
Now, that sounds insane right now, but you know, if you have come in this money and you've gone through all these processes, you'll know what I'm talking about. So what do you do to combat some of these crazy feelings you're going to have to screw your head down tight so that you're ready to take on this moment? First, you've got to take a sabbatical from decision-making. You've really got to give yourself time to figure out where you are and who you want to be as a person. And I'm saying go deep with this thing. You might even want to go take a trip. This could be That could be your 5% take five is you want to spend some money and go to the mountains or take a trip out of town and figure out and write down who do you want to be. Because this, is, this could be an opportunity to change who you are and how people see you. So you've got to figure out what you want to do um, with your wife now that you have come into this money. So take some time and then also create that wish list. You know, on that sabbatical, you could write down and do this list of all the different things and who you want people to see you as after you really find yourself after you've come into this money. You also, I'll tell you one of the biggest and best things I think you can do when you've come into money and you're trying to figure out what to do because I don't know if this is a human nature thing or if this is an American thing, is that I think especially newfound money or nouveau riche or whatever you want to say, people who have just come into money, there's a tendency to want to say, I want everybody to see what I've got. I want to show off a little bit. We want to boast. We want to go do the things. That's where you get that thought of buying that Bentley comes from or buying that Ferrari or the big mansion up on the hills. I think we want everybody to see how successful we are. But if you want to get that in check, I think one of the things you can do while you're trying to screw your head on tight is you go volunteer. And I know that's you go volunteer your time, you know, it's something that for, for people who are a little less fortunate. I think that really puts things in perspective. You know, one of the biggest things you can do is, I, I know this has happened when you get around Christmas and you, you get into gift giving and everything else, and then you go find out that some families can't even afford the meal for Christmas or they can't afford to have buy coats just to keep them warm during the winter. And that puts everything in perspective because everything's relative and you put things in perspective and realize really what a blessing it is that you have this opportunity. So I think volunteering your time can be a tremendous asset to really put you in a place where you can figure out where your personal values lie and know how to spend the money. So go out there and do some volunteer work. But recapping where you are with screwing down your head is you've got to make sure that you do take some time off, do that sabbatical from decision-making. Make sure you write down the list of how you want to spend the money through the wish list, and that's going to be your outline um, for the next step. And what is that next step is you're going to organize your dream team. And when I talk about the dream team, I'm not talking about just your legal counsel because you're in trouble, like from OJ trial. I'm talking about you're putting together your financial team. And when I talk about your financial team, I'm talking about a financial planner, an accountant, and, of course, an estate planning attorney. So you've got to go put together and surround yourself with good, good people. You know, that's what one of the biggest, they say one of the biggest traits about great leaders is, is they try to surround themselves with tremendous assets. And they're talking about the people power around them. So please go out there and start assembling a team. And how do you do that? You know, because that, that's kind of an overwhelming task. Like I said, I already mentioned earlier, you might have a brother-in-law that you, you know, dabbles in insurance or, you know, claims he's a financial planner, but is he capable of handling your million, two million dollars that maybe you and you know came into? I think you want to go find an expert on this. So what can you do? First, let's go read some books. You know, I've mentioned in previous podcasts, and you can find them on our site, money-guy.com, The Millionaire Next Door. Go see how millionaires act. 
I think that's um, you know what the, the typical characteristic, what they drive, that's all in that book. It will serve as a tremendous example of maybe how you want to model your wife. Because if now if you're coming to this million dollars or money, why not act like the other millionaires who have gotten there from success and other things? Because obviously they're coping with it quite well. You also look at books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and see why is um, it is continuous that wealthy families somehow pass down these secrets to becoming wealthy. So I'm going to put links out to my website, money-guy.com, so you can go look at these things. But you really want to go out there and read and get a grasp on things before you start talking to people. Then once you go interview a financial planner, please go look at the fee-only side. You know, if you because if you come into a large sum of money. I think you want to have a planner that sits on the same side of the table as you and is not being motivated by commission. So go look at a fee-only planner. You can know, you can find a fee-only planner by contacting the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. Um, I am one of those advisors. It's the fee-only organization that really has a stringent requirement to get in. You have to show that you have experience as well as they review a full financial plan. Um, it's a great, great site. That's NAPFA. Dot, I believe it's it's either .com or .org. We'll put that link up on the site as well. Um, you also want to ask some deep questions of these professionals. Just because they're a member of this organization doesn't mean that you give them a pass. You've got to ask them some tough questions like, hey, what credentials do you have? How long have you been practicing? Remember, we don't want somebody who's cutting their teeth on learning how to deal with your money. You also want to make sure how they get compensated. Are they paying any kickback fees to anybody else out there? Um, what's their investment style, their philosophy on how they handle money, um, and what clients or specializations do they have with dealing with people, and are they used to dealing with people who come into windfalls of money? You know, if you're dealing with somebody who's typically working with $50,000 clients and you come in there with $2 million, probably a different situation. So you need to be careful and make sure that you're working with people that are, are used to dealing with situations like you. An accountant, you can go find a good accountant by just talking to the, the state society um, of CPAs that's in your area. You can go on the Internet and find those. Um, there's a lot of really good accountants out there. And then estate attorneys are very important, too, because you're probably going to need to draft new wills, estate documents, trusts. There's all kind of things that are going to be needed, so you've got to be careful and go out there and do everything you can. But windfalls can be a huge asset. Remember, money is not the thing that makes you happy. It's fulfillment in life that makes you happy. And I think if you really can put your head on straight Go through these three steps that I've just told you. You can really turn this into a, a prime opportunity instead of some of the despair that you've seen in some of these lottery stories. I do want to thank you for your time. This has been the Financial Chaos Topic on Windfall Planning. Remember the books that I've already mentioned is Rich Dad, Poor Dad, as well as The Millionaire Next Door. I'm going to put those links up on the website. And you guys have been great. Please, if you want to continue to let this show grow, tell your friends, families, Everybody you know that you think might be interested in learning how they can get good financial advice, please send them to themoney-guy.com. If you're interested in contacting me directly, my email address is jbp at preston-cleveland.com. If you want to just send me an email and let me know how you like the show, feel free to write some reviews if you like it. But remember, I'm here to try to help guide you through the financial chaos that's in your life right now. And with that, I'd like to say, may God bless you with good health, family, friends, and, of course, future wealth. Until next time, thank you.